I'm going to read from Luke uh, chapter 22. Um, Great. So let's read then from uh, Luke chapter 22, starting in uh, verse 24. Also, a dispute arose among them as to which of them was considered to be greatest. Jesus said to them, the kings of the Gentiles lorded over them, and those who exercise authority over them call themselves benefactors. But you are not to be like that. Instead, the greatest amongst you should be the youngest, and the one who rules like the one who serves. For who is greater, the one who is at the table or the one who serves? Is it not the one who is at the table? But I am among you as one who serves. But you are those who have stood by me in my trials, and I confer on you a kingdom, just as my father conferred one on me, so that you may eat and drink at my table in my kingdom and sit on thrones, judging the 12 tribes of Israel. So let's just pray. Lord, we pray, give us ears to hear what you have to say through your word. Give us hearts to respond. Give us minds to understand and help us, Lord, in our lives to apply what you've said in Jesus' name. Amen. So I wonder if any of you have ever been to an awards ceremony. Um, for example, I, I was going to use some examples. If in my running club, we have an annual awards. Or if you're in a cricket club, you have your kind of awards ceremony, you know. And, and there's normally a number of different trophies and awards that get handed out during the evening. For example, often there will be the kind of numpty of the year award, right? The Muppet of the Year award. I think Jamie, my son, might have got, got that once for um, turning up at a cricket match in his shorts and he didn't have his, his cricket trousers with him, so he had to play a match in his shorts. Numpty of the Year uh, award gone to him. Um, but then, th then there's the coveted award, the Players Player of the Year award. That's the one that we all want because that's the one where everybody voted for you. You're the popular person and you get the kudos for being the player, Players Player of uh, the Year. Now here in this passage, the disciples have decided that the Numpty of the Year award goes to Judas. All right, the verses just before this, we've just, we've, they've discussed, who could it be? Who's going to betray Jesus? Who's going to be the numpty? Okay, and now in verse 24, they start to dispute who's going to get player's player of the year. Who is the greatest? There's a dispute amongst them as to who seemed to be the greatest. Now, why is it that they're disputing at this particular point uh, about who is the greatest? Well, we don't know, but there might be a couple of possible reasons. Um, I mean, one might be that back in chapter 21, Jesus had talked about how the Son of Man will ride on the, on the clouds. He'll come in glory. Uh, and maybe they're thinking, hey, you know, um, we, people are attracted to power, aren't they? And, uh, you know, politicians will, will kind of follow the person they think is going to be the next, you know, everyone was about to tip over to Prigozhin from Putin because maybe they suddenly thought he would be. And then, no, no, no. So people are attracted to power. And um, so here we have the son of man. And maybe they're thinking, well, I want to be his right-hand man. You know, he's going to be the Messiah who's ruling. Maybe it's that. Or maybe 
They've forgotten what Jesus said in chapter 21, and, and they've just been listening to his discourse here at the Last Supper in chapter 22, where he talks about how he will suffer. And he talks in, uh, about how his body will be broken for them. And he talks about how blood, his blood will be poured out for them. And maybe they're thinking, well, Jesus is about to go. Um, he's talking about his death and um, he's leading a big movement. I mean, who's going to be his successor? Who's going to be the, who's in our group here? Who's going to be the natural successor? Who's going to lead this big movement? Thousands of people following. We've got this thing going here. Who's going to be the next leader? So maybe that's their motivation. We don't know. But I think that there is a deeper reason why they are disputing who's the greatest. And that is because of the human condition that we are all prone to. We might call it carnal pride, carnality or, or pride. Human beings behave like this. People want recognition. People want to be the greatest. Why? Do we want that? Well, one might be because of sin. And indeed, it is because of sin. So we go back to Genesis, for example. Back in Genesis chapter 3, we see there that Adam and Eve attempted to take the fruit so that they can be like God, so that they can be as great as God. And then in chapter 4, we read about Cain and Abel and uh, Abel and Cain each bring their offering to God, and it says that God didn't look with favor on Cain's offering, whereas he did look with favor on Abel's offering. And so uh, Cain gets jealous. Cain starts to sort of suck his thumb and sulk because his brother's getting recognition. What about me? God's looking, looking on, my, on, on my offering with favor. He wants recognition. God isn't giving it to him. And so, of course, jealousy comes in and he plots and tragically he, he kills his brother. And we find that it comes to a, a kind of zenith in Genesis, in Genesis 12, 11 rather, where we read about the Tower of Babel, where we're told there that man wanted to make a name for himself by building a tower to heaven so that he could be like God. He wanted to make a name for himself, to be like God. And that kind of ugly, carnal jealousy and craving for recognition and desire to be applauded and to be great, that Babel-esque thing is in human society and it's in our hearts. It's the curse of Adam. It's the mark of Cain. It's the hallmark of Babel. Me, me, me. My needs, my ego, my significance, my recognition, my rights, my rewards. Narcissism is a endemic thing in our society. It's described um, by the Mayo Clinic, narcissism, as a mental health condition in which people uh, crave, or sorry, people have an unreasonably high sense of their own self-importance. They need and seek too much attention and want people to admire them. 
there's another definition which gives kind of nine traits of narcissism, which I won't go through all of them, but it's, it's a, you can ask me afterwards if you want, but there's um, an acronym, Special Me, uh, and uh, each letter uh, marks some of the marks of, tr of narcissism. So, for example, a sense of self-importance, entitled um, attitudes, uh, interpersonal exploitation, arrogance, um, must be admired, uh, you know, envious of others. Th those things are there, and it, it's the scourge of our, our age. And, and Satan was the ultimate narcissist. Uh, we, we're told in 1 Timothy chapter 3 that we shouldn't appoint elders when they're new converts in case they fall into the same trap that the devil fell into, which was pride. It tells us that he fell through pride. Pride. So the first reason why we kind of want recognition is because of sin. Um, and it started with the first man and it's, it's there. The second reason, though, I think there's another reason why we can want this. And that is because of the hurts that we have experienced in our lives. I will tell you a quick story. When I arrived in South Africa as a 10-year-old boy and turned up at school in year six, I hit the playground at the point when Spitting Image had just brought out their song, I've Never Met a Nice South African. Does anyone remember that song? Well, it, I'm sorry, it was, uh, I've, it was, I've, I'm glad some of you don't know about it, but it was a cruel song. I've never met a, this is in the days of apartheid. I mean, I've met lots of nice South Africans. They're the best. Um, but anyway, you can imagine me on the playground as a 10-year-old and everyone singing, I've never met a nice South African. There I am with my South African accent. You can imagine why I lost the accent pretty quick. Um, and then there was another problem that I had, and that was this, that... I was useless at football, all right? Because everybody had been playing football in England, if you're an English lad, from the age of six months old, all right? And, uh, and I, I'd only done proper sports because I grew up in South Africa, like cricket. So, so I couldn't play football for a start. And secondly, I just can't coordinate. I mean, my legs are just all over the place. So uh, there I am, and, and you, have to ha you have to be able to play football to cut it on the playground as a 10-year-old. As a, as a and I couldn't. So, you know, it was, it was damaging to my ego. I mean, you can just, yeah, I hope you're going to feel sorry for me here. And, you know, has anyone been in this position where you, they, they're choosing the teams? Have you ever been in that position? Uh, and, you know, everyone's lined up against the fence and then you've got the two team leaders and they're picking the players, their favourite players, and it whittles down and it whittles down and, and then it's... It's you that's left. Yeah, and you got the shoes and you're looking down at the floor and you're kicking the floor because they're starting to argue. No, no, you can have him. It's fine. You can have him. It's fine. Right? Anyone had that? No? no just, just me? Just me? Right. Okay. But we can have all sorts of things in our lives from our past that cause us to be hurt, to be fragile. Um, there's a lot of people going around with a lot of hurts. Parents perhaps saying harsh words, having high expectations, um, a lack of attachment when we were, when we were young. Uh, a lot of people still subconsciously, I would suggest, still trying to impress their dads. 
Even if their dad's dead, they're still trying to impress him. There's all sorts of things that we're not even conscious of that make us driven to try and achieve, be successful, because actually we're looking for recognition because we were hurt, we were, someone ignored us, we were overlooked, there was harsh things that cut in, and we're like, oh, I've got to prove myself, I want some kudos, I need some recognition. And so we have these kind of things going on in our hearts that we don't always understand, but they can lead us to um, seek status, you know, to have the, the best car, all right? Now, I, I should be clear that there can be good motivations for wanting to be successful, to, for wanting to achieve. It might be because you want to fulfill your potential. It might be because you, you want to use your gifts. It might be because you enjoy something. For example, you might just enjoy driving. You might enjoy a nice car. And that, that's, uh, you know, in proportion, that could be an okay motivation. But if the motivation is that you want heads to turn because they can see you, you are the winner, then that is coming from a place of hurt and of sin and of desire to be recognized. So maybe, you know, status, maybe uh, promotion, wanting power. How about getting likes and hits and uh, comments and followers on our social media. I mean, put your hands up if you've not done this. Um, you posted something, and then within 20 minutes, you've gone back to check how many likes have I got? How many comments? Oh, I wonder how many comments. I Has anybody not done that? Yeah, okay, well done. Right, some of you, okay. <laughs> My theory is destroyed. <laughs> well, uh, I think most of us put something up, right, well, I wonder how many people like that one, you know, how many followers have I got? And um, so we can also, that little dopamine hit from kind of someone else has commented on what we've done or whatever, and we're looking for that recognition. Some of you obviously are not, you're completely secure, you don't need that kind of thing, but like the rest of us mere mortals, uh, maybe we, we think we do. In chapter 22, our passage today Jesus says to them, uh, there's this dispute that has arisen, and uh, they are wanting to know who's the greatest, who seems to be, who appears to be the greatest amongst us. And in verse 25, Jesus says, kings lord it over people. Those who have authority want to have the title of benefactor. Back in those days, it, it was an, uh, in, a, in an honor culture, where they lived, to have a title, to be honored, was an important thing. So, for example, um, this title, benefactor, or euergeet, was a title that some people would, would have. So, let's say that other people were dependent upon you, you gave, you supported other people, you were, you were kind and beneficial to others, you wanted to have the recognition, so you would expect to be called euergeet, benefactor. Uh, uh, but actually, that can come out of a place of insecurity. People can lead out of a place of insecurity. I was thinking about um, the first ever king of Israel, King Saul. And it tells us that he was an impressive guy. He was head and shoulders above everybody else. But actually, he was desperately insecure. He was hiding amongst the baggage when he was first chosen to be king. He, there was an insecure, and he led from a place of insecurity. 
And so we read about how he, he sins at one point in 1 Samuel 15, and he says to Samuel, well, I was afraid of the people. That's why I did it. He's the ruler, but he wants people's popularity, and he's afraid that they would turn against him. And then it tells us in chapter 15 also that he sins, and Samuel confronts him, and, and Samuel says, you're not going to be the king anymore. And Samuel, Saul goes, well, oh, that's really bad, but... Okay, it's a fair cop, Gov. Uh, but look, Samuel, at least could you just honor me in front of everybody? You know, come with me and just honor me. At least that I can look good. doesn't matter if I've not pleased God, but as long as I look all right, you know, that'll, that'll help me. James Clear, the author of the book Atomic Habits, says that um, people um, can sometimes take jobs because of the title uh, and the kudos that that job has, Whereas they could have taken a different job that they're really good at, but it doesn't have the, the kudos, and so they've actually kind of not really serving themselves well. We, we, want the, we want the title. People can say, for example, go to university because they think, well, it looks good to, ha to go to uni, have a degree, but actually they could be a brilliant mechanic, but, but maybe they think in their heads, well, that, that hasn't got the same kudos. It's a pity. It's a shame. But actually, we, we can be driven by what people think of us rather than actually what really is a good decision. And so Jesus says in chapter 22 and verse 26, the kings and the rulers, they, they lead like this. But then he says, you are not like that. He says, but you are not like that. And it begs the question, are we not like that? Are we not? like the world, I would suggest that this trait is endemic in churches, in leaders, in members, amongst Christians. Petty rivalries, the desire for recognition, people feeling hurt if they've been overlooked. You know, how will you handle it? How do you handle it if you, you do something at work or in the church, or in your family, and nobody thanks you? How do you handle that? If you're overlooked, you think, I mean, let's say, let's say that we said that we were going to uh, appoint a new elder in the church at the Vine, okay? Now, that's not something we're, as far as I'm aware, about to do, but let's say that we were about to do that, and, and then we're about to name someone, and you're thinking, well, I've served for decades, you know, and I, and I'm a, I walk with God, and and, I, and I'm sure I qualify, and you know, I've done stuff, and then someone else gets gets named. How do we handle that kind of thing? When you're at work, and you think, well, I've led this project, and then someone else gets recognition. You think, what, 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 what have I done? Did anyone see what I've done? How do we handle that kind of thing? Do we, do we suck our thumb, go and eat worms, nurse the hurts, have grudges, feel sorry for ourselves? I, I think we probably do because it's still there. We, this is something we have to ongoingly deal with. It's interesting that the disciples had already done this back in chapter 9 of Luke. They disputed about who was the greatest. Jesus had to deal with it then and now it's come back again because it's in our hearts. And so, um, 
I think that this, this thing can hold churches back from being the best and from moving forwards. So we can be afraid of appointing people because you think, or well, someone else will be upset that it wasn't them. Or we could be afraid of standing someone down because uh, we were afraid that they'd be upset. Let's say that someone said, you know, came and volunteered and said, you know, I want to be, I want to be a, um, I don't know, a welcomer at the door. Uh, and then you watch them and you think, that they don't smile, they don't greet people, they, they look really awkward uh, when someone comes in the door. Would we dare go and say, actually, we don't really think it's your gift to be a welcome. We'd probably be frightened to say that to them, so it'd be mortally offended that we said that to them. And so it can stop churches from, from moving forwards. And certainly the Apostle Paul found that this was there in the church in Corinth, when he writes to the Corinthian church in chapter 3 and verse 1, it says this. Um, he says, you're worldly. You're not spiritual. He says, you're worldly. Uh, he says that there's all kind of jealousy amongst you. Um, he says that you're acting in a worldly way. I follow Paul. I follow Apollos. Uh, there's this kind of worldliness. And then you're quarreling. And you're acting like mere men, he says in verse 4. And then he gives the answer. The Apostle Paul gives the answer in verse 5. Are we not just only servants? We're just servants. We're just serving God. I can remember a few years ago when I uh, led a church plant into Basingstoke. And um, that was tough. It was hard graft. I can remember my family we used to come home from church in Odium, then we'd have a quick bit of toast for lunch, and then we'd shoot out for an afternoon meeting in Basingstoke, uh, and we did all the hard work, and we, we you know, there were, I could tell you the stories, I've got the scars, you know, a couple of years of just like hard graft, trying to plant this church, and then we, we started, we got a venue, it started to grow, it started to do well, it started to get better, and got to the point where the church was just taking off. I mean, it, some people were pressing in to the meetings. Visitors were coming. It was beginning to really kind of get, take off. And that was the moment where I withdrew from leading that church and came back to Odium because we'd found a new leader there, which we were pleased about. But I, I just suddenly disappeared. I thought, oh, that's painful, actually. I've done all the hard work. Now there's this church taking off, and, uh, and I've just kind of just gone out, disappeared out the back door. And uh, I can remember um, I was listening to a sermon by Arnold Bell, and um, he was talking about Philip, the evangelist, and how he started a, a, a revival in Samaria. Uh, and then just as the revival was taking off, Philip was hoiked away by God, by the Spirit, and suddenly turns up in the desert, and he talks to an Ethiopian there in the desert, just him, just in with one person. And uh, Arnold said, you know, Philip, he'd done his job. He could have stayed for this revival that he'd started, but no, well done. God knows what you've done. You don't need recognition from people. You can kind of, you're in the desert now. And, uh, and that was it. And I thought, oh, that's so helpful to me. So I was like, actually, yeah, I did what God wanted me to do. One man plants, another uh, sows, another harvests. 
it's, we're servants. Are we not just servants? Are we not just doing what God wants us to do? That's what matters, isn't it? And so that, that certainly helped me. Now, so the way, coming to the desert was not odium, by the way. Uh, this is the place I love to be. But, um, but we need to make sure that our hearts are right. I would say every time you are overlooked, thank God that it's an opportunity to deal with this issue. And every time you don't get the recognition you would like, then realize that God knows you still have an issue to deal with. And this is an opportunity to learn through it. The Apostle Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3 and verses 21 to 23, I love this passage, it just says this. Um, Let's just have a quick look at it. In 1 Corinthians, let me just dig to it. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 21, um, he says, he says, um, he says to them, so then no more boasting about men. all, All things are yours, whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or the present or the future. All are yours and you are of Christ and Christ is of God. I love what Paul says there. Listen, you don't need to worry about your reputation because you've got Christ. You've got everything. You don't need human recognition. You've been recognized by God. You don't need people's acceptance. God has accepted you. The most important being in the universe loves you, accepts you in Christ. That is enough. That's healing. That's powerful. That heals our hurts. We've been born again. We've been made new people. We've been accepted by God. We're loved by God. Jesus said in the passage I read earlier, that uh, ultimately he says, you've been given the kingdom, he says. You're going to be raised. You're gonna, yes, you're going to sit, sit at a table in heaven. You've been raised. That's our position. We've been raised up with Christ. We've been loved by God. The Apostle Paul says this. He, he, in 1 Corinthians 4, he talks about how as an apostle, he is the end of the procession. He's the scum. People slander. People treat him badly. He's this apostle. By the way, it can happen uh, for, for leaders and stuff. He's just, he gets kicked, he, you know, and you think he should get recognition, but, but he doesn't. By the way, I should just take this. I was going to say it earlier, but, but you know, I think, I think there is a place for honoring people. There's a place for honoring parents Bible tells us to honor our parents. There's a place for honoring our bosses. There's a place for honoring our leaders. Now, people should not do things in order to get honor, but people should be honored for what they do. So I think that's right. But the Apostle Paul is just doing what God wants him to do, to be an apostle, and he is not being honored it tells us, but he says people slander us, but we speak kindly to them. Why can Paul take all this rubbish and yet respond so graciously? It's because he's secure. 
because he's experienced the grace of God. He says, I am who I am by the grace of God. He says, the Son of God loved me and gave himself for me. And so Paul is secure in who he is in Christ. Jesus, of course, was secure, wasn't he? Ultimately secure. So in John 13, in the parallel passage to the one that we're just looking at today, in John 13 at the Last Supper, it says that Jesus, knowing who he was, knowing where he'd come from, knowing where he was going to, Jesus, knowing who he was, he took off his outer clothes, got down on his hands and knees, took hold of some smelly, dusty feet, and washed them. It says in this passage in Luke, I'm amongst you as a servant. I can be a servant because I know who I am, so I can just serve. I can just play my part. I'm not upset if I get moved around. I'm not, I don't take umbrage if, you know, this, that, or the other, because that's right. I know who I am. I know what God has said about me. I'm amongst you as one who serves. He says, he says you know, if you're at a, at a restaurant, uh, he says, who's the most important, the person sitting at the table or the waiter? The waiter who says, sir, yes, sir, what would you like? Well, we'd say the person sitting at the table, they're, they're paying the bill. They're the most important. The waiter's subservient. And Jesus says, but I'm amongst you as a servant. Jesus turns normal uh, human kind of authority on its head. And he says, the greatest amongst you must be the youngest, must be the servant of all. And by the way, this is a permanent state of affairs, that you will always be a servant. It's not like you do a bit of, you know, you put the chairs out for a couple of years and then hopefully you'll get promoted. No, we were servants for the whole of our lives. We always will be. We're always servants because that's what God's called us to be. That's true greatness, to serve. And yeah, God says, well done, good and faithful. Let me give you something else. Yeah, he does. He promotes us. He gives us opportunities. But when he does, we can handle it because we've settled in our hearts. We're not, we're not doing it for the wrong motives. So folks, let me ask us, have we settled it in our hearts? Have we dealt with it? Have we repented of, of pride and just ego and all about me and wanting just the recognition? Have, have we been healed of the hurts? So that we feel secure because we know God loves us. He accepts us. Tells us in Romans 12, do not be conformed anymore to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing and perfect will. When you're transformed by God, you'll be in a good place. And then you won't look on yourself without sober judgment, as he says. You won't think of yourself more highly than you ought, as he goes on to say. Be transformed. Have we been transformed? Has God finished with us yet? No, he hasn't. There's still more work to do. Let's submit to him. Let's allow him to work this through in us. Because actually it's freeing. It's wonderfully liberating, isn't it? When we come to a place of security in God. 
of being content with what he's got given us, being happy. And then we can be easy, we can be light, we can be like that astronaut that's light-hearted, that's able to bounce through things. And when stuff happens, we can deal with it because, because God loves us. Let's pray together. Lord God, thank you that you do love us unconditionally. Not dependent upon our performance. Lord, thank you that we have the status of sons of God. Thank you that you have shed abroad into our hearts your love by your Holy Spirit. Right now, Lord, I want to pray that we would have that experience, that you would shed your love abroad into our hearts afresh. Right now, if you know you need to just deal with something, you need to ask God, Lord, help me. I struggle with this. Right now, why don't you just give it to God? Holy Spirit, I pray, come and just do some surgery in our hearts right now. Free us, Lord. Release us from living for other people, other people's approval. Free us from it, Lord. If you need to forgive someone because you've been hurt, perhaps a parent, perhaps a friend, a, a brother, a sister, someone in the past, a boss, you feel the injustice of how you were treated, Right now, forgive them. Right now, just let go. Come, Holy Spirit, come and heal. Heal broken hearts, heal hurts. That we would know your love. That we go from here feeling utterly accepted by you. Thank you, Lord. If the sun sets you free, you shall be free indeed. Be free. Be free from, from pride and fear of others. In Jesus' name, we ask you, Lord, just nurdle out things we might not even be conscious of from our past that are making us driven, make us to try and impress because stuff has happened. Lord, I pray right now, reveal those things to us so that we would know if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. And then, Lord, we can serve you wholeheartedly. We can do things and be successful, but because we're just walking with you using what you've given us to do. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.